Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Tuesday. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. We are two days away from the NFL draft. I cannot wait. There's so much going on right now, so many different directions that the Raiders uh, can go in. Uh, I wrote a story today about the importance of not reaching for need. Yes, maybe sometimes, and maybe this will happen Uh, On Thursday, maybe best player available will line up perfectly uh, with the Raiders' needs, i.e. the best player available at number 17 is a tackle, and that very well could be. There are some really good tackles uh, in this draft. Uh, uh, Christian uh, Darasaw from Virginia Tech, Tevin Jenkins um, from Oklahoma State, uh, Rayshon Slater from Northwestern, uh, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker from USC, who's all he's more of a guard, but definitely can play tackle. Uh, any of those four guys would be good value at number 17 in and of themselves. But if there is a game changer defensively, i.e. a Micah Parsons, maybe even a Patrick Sertain or a J.C. Horn from South Carolina, uh, if you're the Raiders, do you kick the tackle can down the road a little bit, maybe into the second round or third round? Uh, and 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 go ahead and and draft somebody that can really be a game changer on your defense. We all know, uh, looking back at last year's Raiders team, they gave up the third most points in the NFL. Yes, there have been uh, big uh, changes made to this defense. Yannick Ngakwe, a rebuilt defensive line, re-signing Nicholas Morrow, bringing in Gus Bradley, the defensive coordinator. So obviously, uh, there's a lot to... Um, uh, to like about the direction that the Raiders are going defensively. But if you can get a Michael Parsons or somebody that's going to be uh, a player that can can change the dynamic of your defense just by their mere presence, I think you have to look into it uh, and go figure out right tackle later on in the draft. Uh, we're going to go right out to the Ra- uh, Raiders Nation listener line. Vincent, love that name, is in New Jersey, and he wants to talk about the 17th pick overall. Vincent, how you doing, brother? How you doing, guys? Um, I'm doing good, man. I'm a diehard Raider fan from Jersey. Nice. And I've been doing a lot of research myself on this draft. And I'm, I'm really hoping we go defense in the first round, although it seems more and more likely every day that we go tackle. Because I really think we can get a solid tackle in the second or third round, like Brady Christensen from uh, BYU or Dylan Raddins. I'd like to see us go either linebacker or safety. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, it, it has to, you know, like I said, um, if a Micah Parsons is there at 17 and you're okay, um, if you're the Raiders and you're okay uh, with whatever the flags might be uh, on the maturity issues, uh, or maybe even, you know, uh, uh, Caleb Farley from uh, Virginia Tech. I know there's some uh, injury concerns. Uh, he seems to be, at least uh, according to his camp, um, out of the woods as far as the back injury. And it's not going to be a long-term um, issue. Of course, every team is going to take a look at that medical and make their own determination. But he's the kind of guy 
that could start day one and be a game changer for you um, at, at, a, at cornerback. He might be the best cornerback in this draft. It wasn't if it wasn't for uh, the back issue. He might be uh, a top ten pick. So uh, you know, again, uh, if you get into that kind of a situation where you're looking at tackle or you know best player available, especially on the defensive side of the ball. It, it makes sense uh, to take a look at that. The story that I wrote today, uh, you know, pointed back, and I was talking about this yesterday, to the Rams in 2014. Their, yeah. their defensive line was set. They needed offensive line help. They, they, they were lucky enough to have the second and 13th pick overall. With the second pick, they draft Greg Robinson from Auburn, solidify the offensive line, even though he never panned out. Uh, but yeah. the pick, you know, established some comfort. And with 13, even though their defensive line had Chris Long and, and Michael Brockers, uh, and, and, and Robert Quinn, they felt like, you know, we've already taken care of tackle. We might as well make a really good unit, a great unit, by bringing in uh, Aaron Donald. Now, if they didn't have the second pick, and I, I doubled back and, and checked with some Rams people today, um, had, they, had they not had that second pick, had they only had pick 13, they're pretty sure they wouldn't have taken Aaron Donald. They would have taken probably Zach Martin, who ended up going in the Cowboys. Now, he was a tremendous, yeah. is a tremendous player. Oh, but who would player. you rather have, Zach Martin or Aaron Donald? Oh yeah, easy, easy answer. Right, exactly. So, and I'm not saying that you know uh, Micah Parsons is going to be Aaron Donald or or Caleb Farley is going to be uh, Jalen Ramsey, uh, those kind of caliber of players. But both of them uh, have been talked about as dynamic defensive game-changing type players and you know exactly. again if, if you're if you're able if you're in a position uh, to take one of those two guys even though the need might be offensive line again just look at the 2014 um, Rams and you know you, you don't want to be in a position which the Rams would have easily been in where yeah we've got Zach Martin and that's been a great pick but gosh you know, Aaron Donald is a multiple defensive player of the year award winner. Um, yeah, he's, he's, not, he's an absolute game wrecker. Yeah, exactly. And and so you don't want to be, again, in that position where um, you miss out on a player of that kind of a caliber or that, you know, even Jalen Ramsey. You know, if you if, if Caleb Farley turns into, Caleb, into, into a Jalen Ramsey and he has been, you know, mentioned along those terms, yeah. no matter who you get at, at tackle, short of, you know somebody that's going to be a, um, a all pro caliber player. It's you know you're going to be looking at you're going to be looking back and and, and regretting that. Uh, what are your thoughts on on seventeen? And I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't hate if we picked a tackle. I, I like Tevin Jenkins and Elijah Vera Tucker. I think they're both good players. But I feel like we just I feel like we could we'd be fine with. Uh, Either picking a, a right tackle in the second or third round, but I really would like to see us pick like Jeremiah Wusu Karamoa from Notre Dame or uh, Trayvon Morig from TCU, the safety. I think he's. I think he's going to be very good. Yeah, uh, I agree on uh, on Morig from TCU. I'm not quite sure uh, with the 17th pick. You could. You could convince me on Jeremiah at number 17. I'm not so sure about Morig at number 17. I think there's still safety value uh, a little bit later on in the draft that I don't think, even though they might not be as good uh, as Morig, I think that um, you know the distance between 
who you might be able to get at number 48, and, and Morig uh, isn't so steep, isn't so wide uh, that you that you would regret you know, not taking a Morig. I think you'd be okay with uh, you know, whether it's Javon Holland uh, from Oregon or Richie Grant from the University of Central Florida. I think both of those guys, or maybe even Andre Sisco later on, maybe in the third round with an Andre Sisco. There's some flags with him in terms of his... Um, you know, uh, risk taking, and sometimes he plays out of position. But man, the guy is such a ball hawk, and is somebody that um, you know uh, uh, can 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 just make things happen and force turnovers. And that's something that the Raiders absolutely need. So uh, hey, I appreciate the call, man. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, and and so we'll keep on talking about it. We'll keep on beating that drum. What do the Raiders do? Um, at pick number 17, do you trade up if you feel like you got to go get somebody? Uh, maybe it is Micah Parsons. Uh, maybe it's somebody else that they have their eye on uh, that's that's you know might be falling into range. Uh, I, I think trading up to number seven or you know number six, and there's there's rumors that a lot of you know those teams that are in and around that area, a lot of them are, are or some of them are, are looking to move back. Uh, it would cost a lot, you know, um, maybe a little bit too much to to move that far up. But when you're starting to talk about 10, 11, if there's somebody that is falling that you really, really like, um, you know, you might be in a uh, – it, it might be such a compelling case to be made for that player that you go, okay, um, let's get bold and let's let's make sure that we get that guy. Let's not wait for that guy to fall to us too many times – um, over the years where teams kind of hold off thinking, hey, it's looking like he's going to fall you know, to us and, and a pick right before uh, or two picks ahead of you, um, you know, somebody goes ahead and, and, and takes the guy that you wanted when, when you could have just you know, maybe given up a third-round pick to move up um, a couple of spots uh, to go get the guy. So you, you got to be able to balance that you know, um, being too bold and paying too much and knowing when to strike, you need to know what uh, other teams are, are might be thinking. Um, you got to do your homework. Um, you just have to be ready to move, and you have to be nimble, uh, whether it's moving up uh, or moving uh, back. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation uh, guest line and welcome in a uh, a new friend uh, to the Raider family. Uh, the Raiders, you know, obviously moved here to Las Vegas from from Oakland uh, last year, but it, it was such a crazy year with COVID nineteen and um, and everything else that was going on. Uh, that you know, uh, relationships weren't be, weren't able to be built. Football seasons in, in high school wasn't even played. Uh, there were no fans at Allegiant Stadium. Uh, we're slowly but surely starting to get back uh, to a point where um, we can all be kind of friends and close uh, again. And uh, so we're going to go out and uh, to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in uh, Liberty High football coach. Uh, Rich uh, Morocco uh, onto the show. Uh, Rich, I hope I'm not I'm, I'm pronouncing the name correctly. Uh, is is that correct? And if not, it, please correct me. No, you did. You said it correctly. Okay, cool. Uh, and Liberty, it's 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 still kind of interesting to say you guys are the defending state <laughs> champions. Um, you yeah. know, and there's a good good and unfortunate about that. Hopefully, you guys would have defended it in 2020. But the reality is, you won it in 2019. There wasn't a 2020 season, and I just want to. Talk about that. Um, I know you guys are going to get a chance eventually to defend that state championship. Mm-hmm. Um, but the opportunity lost last year, and I want to start there because there were, I'm sure, a whole bunch of senior football players that just lost out on uh, a golden opportunity, whether it was to play their last season in high school football and move on with their lives uh, or 
position themselves for college scholarships or whatever the case might be. Um, you know, I know it's just sports and I know it was just football, but it's heartbreaking to me, uh, having been a high school player uh, back in the day myself, uh, that those kids didn't get that opportunity. Um, your thoughts, you know, just on, on the opportunity that was lost. I know there's not much we could do about it, but yeah. it's still worth talking about. No, absolutely. You know, it was uh, extremely depressing, you know, um, on multiple levels for me. Um, you know, first from the standpoint of not getting to defend our state championship. And um, I really felt like the 2020 season was going to be the year that we finally won state. And it happened a year early. Uh, last year's team would have 11 Division One football players on it. Um, you know, we returned essentially every key player from the 2019 season, uh, except for a couple. And um, we really felt like we, we would have had a real chance to, to go back to back um, at 42 seniors on the roster. So for those 42 kids not get to go out and play was uh, heartbreaking for me, you know, um, and I know everybody in, in Clark County was in the same uh, situation, but um, it was, it was sad for sure. And, uh, Several kids, like you said, um, and it's really not so much the seniors, but it's now it's these juniors that recruiting season's happening right now, and college coaches are coming in, and they don't have any film um, from their junior year, and that, that junior year is so important in helping them get recruited that now they i got to kind of say things to the recruiters like, oh, he would have had a big year, or... You know, you know, he, he trusts me. He's a good player, but now we got to wait and see. And and the kids are going to have to go do some work on their own when the college campuses open back up and go to some camps and get in front of these college coaches. What have you guys been able to do in lieu of playing? Uh, I, I mean, I I know, like you just said, you will articulate um, to the college scouts and coaches. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm vouching for this guy. Trust me on right. this one. Um, and right. obviously, they're going to take your word for it. You're a trustworthy uh, source, but they want to see it as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So what can you do uh, in lieu of, of actual, you know, game footage and are, have there been opportunities for any of these kids to, to go out on the circuit uh, to show what they're about? Or has that even been kind of, yeah, so it's interesting. Um, we were, we are allowed, or we were allowed, we're currently in the middle of it. Um, Clark County school district allowed us to do a spring ball, uh, practices. So we got 20 practices with pads, which is huge. It's the first time we've ever been able to do that. And, um, you know, we kind of lobbied for that with uh, the, Dr. Jara and uh, Ms. Sloan at the CCSD athletics office. And, um, you know, we said we missed a year. We really need to get these young kids in pads and teach them up and, and, and be ready for next season. So they did give us that opportunity. And, um, but unfortunately, because of the pandemic, uh, in a normal year, we would have pretty much every college west of the Mississippi come through Liberty to, to look at our kids, and they, they weren't allowed to do that. Um, they're not allowed to do stuff till June 1st, so we kind of lost out on that opportunity. There, there have been several, they call them showcases, where kids go and do combine-type stuff, do drills, um, they get verifiable measurables with their height and their weight and their, their 40 times and that kind of stuff. And then the different services that put those combines on, they try to get that information out to the coaches. But nothing beats the actual coach coming to your campus, getting to watch practice, getting to eyeball the kid and 
kind of you know see if the kid passes the eye test uh, in person. Um, so we'll see. You know, June first, if if the college campuses open up, I'm sure there'll be a lot of camps uh, the month of June for kids to to go out there and get their work in. But now it becomes an expense on families where they have to travel, and uh, you know, it becomes another burden on them. Um, so we, I know, and my son plays over at Centen- or uh, uh, Coronado. Uh, there's mm-hmm. been a little bit of stop and start uh, over there yeah. um, with what they're doing. Uh, but I, I'm so glad that they are able to to get out there and do something. Yeah. Um, and and uh, I'm sure everyone has been been champing at, at the bit. Uh, from your perspective, what do you you know for, for you know because you have a season to play, <laughs> you know, right. in, in just a few months or start in in just a few months. I I just moved here from California. All my um, high school coach friends out there, they literally just had a spring season, and then they're mm-hmm. going to play again uh, in right. the fall. I don't know which is better or not. Um, I kind of would have liked love to have seen the kids out there playing against other teams, um, but you know that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, what are you using? this month or so uh, uh, to really accomplish? Like what, setting it up for next year, right. getting guys yep. reacclimated, or kind of all of the above type of situation? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, in a normal year, we use this month, month and a half, we usually go about five weeks. Uh, we do a spring ball, and it's totally to get ready for next season. You know, install our playbook, get the younger kids up to speed in, in the varsity uh, language of football. Um, and to kind of start to kind of see where we're at with depth charts type stuff. Um, it, we're able to go a lot slower in the spring. So that's where a lot of our teaching comes in, you know, where we can really, you know, film the individual drills and watch it with the kids and, and correct their mistakes and kind of move forward and, and, and spend on that developmental cycle. Um, and that's kind of what we're doing right now. We're still, we're still taking that same approach. Um, unfortunately, the, the thing I've, fear the most is, you know, we lost a year in the weight room, really. Uh, every school did that, you know, and football is one of those sports where, you know, bigger, faster, stronger uh, makes all the difference in the world on the football field. So, um, and on top of that, you know, it helps with injury prevention. So we hope that the school district will open up the weight rooms and allow us to get on campus right away in June and we'll at least get a couple months of lifting before the season comes, try to get these kids stronger. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not a big fan of playing games in the spring. I would never, ever normally want that, but it would have been nice this year for those senior kids, uh, to get one last chance to put the the jersey on and the helmet on and to go out there and represent the school. But unfortunately, yeah, uh, absolutely. And, uh, along those lines, uh, as, as part of the, um, you know, I guess the reward uh, for all the hard work that the kids put in. Uh, there was a, a really special and spectacular day at Allegiant Stadium, of all places, yeah. uh, to go out and, and, and run around and make plays and, and have some fun. Uh, I got to imagine um, that was a pretty big deal, uh, you know, for, for the kids to, first of all, see that stadium, uh, and it's yeah. beautiful, obviously, but to actually run out the tunnel and go out there and play. Can you talk about that experience, even for you as a coach? Yeah, sure. Um you know, we, before we had the Raiders, you know, kids would uh, dream of, you know, being able to play in a pro stadium, maybe in a, you know, if they made it to the pros someday or there was some sort of special event out of town. But, um, you know, with them moving into town and how gracious they've been and how welcoming they've been and working with us in the high school level and even the youth level, 
Um, for them to open up Allegiant Stadium is, you know, really for a lot of these kids a white once in a lifetime type situation. And and to see the looks on their faces as we were going through the tunnel and they all had their phones out and their filming, um, it was it was great. You know, uh, it's such a beautiful place. It's so um, massive and uh, you know very inspiring. And the, we probably had our best practice. Well, we did have our best practice of the spring. Kids were flying around. Um, and very appreciative uh, for the opportunity. And you know, as a coach, uh, again, it's it's just a different environment. The lights, the the way the backdrops are. You know, everything was just great. I can only imagine being in there with sixty five thousand fans screaming. So I can't wait for that to happen for for the Raiders. But uh, it was definitely cool for us in, in the high school level. We're talking to uh, Liberty High School football coach uh, Rich Morocco, uh, the defending champion, uh, state champion, uh, Liberty High School football uh, team. They won the championship in 2019. Um, obviously, for obvious reasons, they weren't able to officially uh, defend that championship last year. Uh, but uh, it's coming pretty soon, and we're all keeping our fingers crossed and knocking on wood that everything is going to be great. Uh, come the fall so that you guys could go out there and legitimately uh, defend that state championship. I got to ask you before we let you go, a um, couple of questions. Number one, the, the relationship now with the Raiders, um, obviously it was a big deal for this area, for yeah. the NFL to get here and you know the Raiders to get here. Um, and I know uh, how much how important it is for the Raiders to get out in the community and, and to, to do their part and be involved and develop relationships. Uh, I got to imagine uh, as a high school football coach, uh, the fact that the local professional football team, the Raiders no less, uh, are, are being pretty darned uh, accommodating with their time uh, to reach out yep. to coaches like yourself and everyone else here in Clark County and really throughout the state uh, to be sort of that big brother uh, uh, for, for high school football and for the next group uh, coming up through the pipeline. Yeah, it's it's been unbelievable, and it started uh, well before they got here. As soon as they made the announcement that they were coming, they sent their youth um, directors. Miles Hayes came out to Nevada, and he started building those relationships with us. I'm the president of the Southern Nevada Football Coaches Association, so I've worked closely with him, setting up camps. They did a USA football tackling uh, camp where the coaches get certified on you know the proper and safe techniques on how to teach tackling and youth to high school um we've done coaches clinics where uh, the raiders coaching staff um did x's and o's with us that was awesome um they've allowed they've had players come meet with our teams um they've had past alumni come out Uh, they had the cheerleaders at our games so it's been unbelievable it's been everything you'd hoped for with a professional team being in town and uh you know, I think they've definitely made a lot more fans, especially the kids. You know, kids, you know, they all have their favorite teams for whatever reason. But, you know, the more the readers are around and, and doing that, they're going to just – all those kids are going to become Raider fans. Yeah, no question about it. I know, I know that's the goal, and I know that, um, you know, they want to they uh, grow Raider fans up uh, and, and all that, but, but also yeah. – you know, the NFL and, and being an example uh, and, and all that is super, super important to them. All right, last question. Who should we keep an eye on? Um, I know uh, you don't want to necessarily single anybody out, but, um, you know, of the, of, of the cl- guys that you have coming back, anybody in particular that, uh, that Las Vegas should uh, and, and, and everywhere else should keep an eye on for next year? Yeah, um, I actually have six kids that have Division One offers right now. Um, you know, some of them... Um, a lot of them are on the defensive side of the ball for us. So, 
sometimes it's hard to appreciate how good a defensive player is because yeah. you know they're not scoring touchdowns, they're not putting yards, and they don't really the stats aren't as uh, accurate on the defensive side of the ball. But um, you know, I have a safety. His name's uh, uh, Kaleva Pa'au, and uh, he is just uh, explosive. It pops on film when you when you watch him on the on the on the field. He just like a human missile. Um, and uh, he's a uh, safety for us. And then I have a wide receiver who's one of the top wide receivers in the nation. He's uh, committed to Washington, and his name's Jeremy Bernard. Um, he's big, athletic, uh, makes plays. If the quarterback puts the ball anywhere near him, he's going to go up and get it. So those are probably my two you know, star guys. But uh, there are a bunch of uh, kids, young kids, that are coming up that I think once they get some film, um, they're gonna they're gonna open some eyes too and get some offers. All right, coach. Well, hey, we're rooting for you uh, absolutely, except for when you play Coronado. I just gotta say that. But you know, you know how it goes. But but honestly, having just moved to the area, I'm a huge high school football fan. So when I saw you guys uh, had won the championship, I was like, I can't wait to go see these guys. Uh, see what Las Vegas football all, is all about. Keep doing uh, great work. Uh, we're all rooting for you, and we can't wait to see you and the kids out on the field uh, this fall. Really appreciate it, brother. Yeah, and I appreciate you having me on. Thanks a lot. You got it. Take care. That's Coach Rich Morocco from uh, the defending state champion uh, Liberty High School football team. Uh, Thanks to him. Thanks to the Raiders uh, for opening up Allegiant Stadium for all the teams uh, to go out there and scrimmage, uh, including Liberty High School. What a great moment for those kids and those coaches and those family members to be able to really take in um, them finally being able to get back out on the field after, you know, the kind of year that we went through. But then also, um, you know, uh, uh, being able to see that stadium and be part of that, uh, really a big deal. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bonsignor. By the way, just throwing this out there, um, you may have heard um, or seen uh, uh, some, some stories linking the possibility of Julio Jones uh, to the Raiders. I wouldn't be so quick to dismiss that. Uh, I'm just saying that. Um, there are other teams involved, but from what I understand, the Raiders uh, are... <laughs> Uh, kicking the tires on that possibility. Um, the way it's been explained to me, um, it because with the with the position that the Falcons are in, uh, they'd have to be um, they would have to be they need uh, salary cap space, okay? And so for this to work for them, and the reason why they're actually doing this is because they do need salary cap space in a big way. Uh, so it would have to be a June first designated trade. So it would have to be officially consummated uh, after June 1st. That maximizes the uh, Falcons' um, cap savings 
uh, ability. It's, it makes a huge difference if they do this after June 1st than before June 1st, all kinds of rules and regulations. Uh, you know the deal. So it makes it complicated in terms of trying to do a trade at this very moment for picks in this draft. So for that reason, um, you know, what, at least what I'm hearing, whatever compensation that the Raiders or, or any other team that's in the running uh, for Julio Jones um, you know, would, would, would offer would be future draft picks, 2022, 2023, that sort of thing. Uh, I'm not quite sure <laughs> what, um, you know, uh, the Raiders or anyone else is offering. Um, you know, when you look at Julio Jones, obviously he's going to be 32 years old next year. I think he played in nine games last year. Uh, so that's a concern. But, you know, if you go back prior to 2020, this is a guy that played every game all the time. I mean, maybe he missed a game here or there and was extremely productive every single season. Um, yeah, he, he was there were some injury issue, issues last year, um, but this is a guy that balls out game in, game out, year in, year out. And uh, when he's on the field, this dude produces. So I'm not you know, guaranteeing anything. There's multiple teams that are involved. Uh, but at least from what I'm hearing, uh, the Raiders are one of those teams. And so what do you think of that? Um, you know, uh, a player like Julio Jones coming in here and, um, you know, obviously at that age, uh, you know, he wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be a long-term thing, but somebody that could give him a shot in the arm like right now uh, and really lift that offense uh, to an even, uh, you know, higher level. Um, you know, it makes some sense. So obviously, there had to be some money being moved around. Um, I think the trading team uh, that acquires Julio, uh, that's like a $15 million uh, cap uh, hit. Um, so there would have to be some moving around of the money, but uh, there's ways to, to get around that, uh, absolutely. So just throwing that out there for what I'm hearing. Um, uh, whatever happens, I don't believe it's going to affect the 2021 draft uh, at all, so um, you know, uh, and we'll keep uh, beating the beating the table, beating the horn on on what is going to happen uh, a couple of days from now when uh, the Raiders and Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, steps up at pick number seventeen and announces what the heck the Raiders are going to do. And I think all options uh, are on the table. Uh, I understand the need at tackle, and no doubt about it. Um, that need is something that they got to fill at some point in this draft or, you know, rely on a young player or go out in free agency and, um, you know, pick through whatever is left in free agency to get right tackle figured out. But one thing that I keep, you know, thinking about, talking about is they have their left tackle. And I'm not minimizing right tackle, the importance of right tackle. You want to be as strong as possible at every single position. Um, but when it comes to drafting in the 17, the, you know, the, at, at number 17, it, it has to be best player available, um, even if it means, again, kicking the tackle can down the road a little bit. Uh, if it was a left tackle, if you absolutely had to have a left tackle, I think that's a little bit different. That's just a uh, much more uh, position of, you know, you, you, you're almost lost if you, don't, if you aren't set at left tackle. Uh, whereas right tackle, you could get by. Uh, you can get by with, um, you know, uh, somebody, whether it's a, a young player that's developing um, or whether it's, you know, somebody out on the uh, on the open market right now, uh, better, you're better off, you know, uh, than, than doing that at left tackle. So uh, we'll see. But to me, best player available, worry about tackle later on. 
uh, or in free agency. Uh, but without further ado, we're going to welcome in our good friend, uh, Q Myers, um, onto the show. Uh, Q, uh, we've been talking and talking and talking. First of all, uh, welcome and thanks for spending some time with us uh, in the huddle. How you how you hanging in there? Man, I'm hanging. I really am. There's a couple days left before the draft. You know, I mean, anticipation is so high right now as far as I'm concerned. We've been talking about the draft for so long, talking about potential players for so long. Now it's time to talk about who's going to be called, who's going to get the, the, the call from Gruden, who's going to get the call from Mayock. How is this team going to improve themselves over the next few days? I'm, it's go time, man. I'm excited. Absolutely, and obviously we're talking to uh, our good friend uh, Q Myers. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at your boy Q254. Uh, he is the host of UNR, uh, 3 to 6 p.m. on Fox Sports Central Texas, uh, also AM 1330, 93.9 uh, FM. Um, well, you know, I, I just I just threw this out there that, um, you know, I wouldn't be quick to dismiss uh the Raiders' connection to Julio Jones. I'm not saying that you know uh, anything is imminent, but I do know that they're kicking the tires uh, on on Julio Jones. It would most likely be for a future pick because this is a deal for the for it to work on Atlanta's end of things in terms of maximizing uh, the salary cap savings. It would have to be uh, a post June first trade, so um, that makes it kind of complicated trading uh, a, a current pick in 2021. For something that uh, for a deal that has to be consummated in, uh, after June first, but just forget about the dynamics and the uh, particulars. Um, how interested would you be uh, with Julio Jones as a Raider? Um, I'm. I mean, I, I guess I'd be intrigued as far as kicking the tires and and maybe thinking about how he could be an asset to the Raiders' offense. But I'll tell you, man, when the news started coming out about the Falcons receiving calls about Julio. I thought about 2020. I thought about the nine games that he played. I thought about the fact that every single season it feels like he wants a, a pay raise where he's always asking for more money. I just don't feel like he's available enough, especially at his age right now, 32 years old, where it's a, it's a real valuable pickup. It's not like he's a, you know Antonio Brown type where his body is just, you know it's in the greatest shape ever, and you know that he's going to bring the strongest work ethic, even though he may be a little, you know, a little edgy at times as AB was. I mean, he's just a different animal. Julio, I, I just I get really concerned about. Uh, I, I would be really interested to see what the Raiders would have to give up, what Atlanta would really want for Julio Jones, who has a pretty decent amount of money on his contract, but $38 million still. So I, I would be interested in what they would have to give up for him. But just off the surface, off the top, I'm not 100% like, oh, yeah, go get that guy. I'm going to throw some numbers at you, Q. Because we, okay. we, we are, um, you know, we focus on the, on, uh, we're very recent oriented, uh, as we should be, uh, when, we, when we talk about, you know, players or anything uh, in life in that right. matter. So uh, we're, we're kind of sometimes handcuffed to the most recent. I'm going to throw some numbers at you. All right, 2014, 15 games, 1,600 yards receiving. 2015, 16 games. 1,800 yards receiving, 2016, 14 games, 1,400 yards receiving, 2017, 16 games, 1,400 yards receiving, 2018, 16 games, uh, 1,700 yards receiving, essentially, 2019, 15 games, 1,400 yards receiving. Uh, I understand that last year was, you know, one of the, it was, it was an injury-plagued season for him, but 
this dude plays and plays a lot, plays often, plays game in and game out. I understand that he can be surly. I understand that he's always looking for the pay for the money. But when I look at this isn't a guy with any kind of history of not playing and not performing and not being out there and available aside from last year. So do you think maybe we sometimes we're reading too much into last year and not taking in the full picture into the account that this guy is a baller? I mean, yeah, that's that's obviously a, a, a good a good way of putting it. And, you know, you run out down those numbers and the yards and everything, and, and he's amazing. I mean, don't get me wrong, great talent. Uh, love who Julio Jones is. Just I look at what he's done for me recently. And, I mean, it's kind of like, and we're radio guys. We're, you know, we're podcasters. We're guys that, uh, you know, write articles. And I've always said you're only as good as your last show. You know what I mean? Like, you're as good as your last show. I could be really, really good, but if I go and put in a stinker, then, hey, I'm not that good. I, I need to set my game up and be more consistent. And, and that's a, probably a bad analogy, but whatever. I mean, it is what it is. My point is, he's getting older. He has, you know, more tread on his tires. Uh, nine games last year really stands out to me in a major way. I just think that, you know, it, it's, a, it's a tough sell for me unless they're able to get away with, you know, uh, a day two pick, and, and I really don't even want to give up a second round pick, but I'm sure Julio Jones would command at least a second round pick, but I sure don't want to give up a first round pick, and oh, by the way, next year's draft is in Vegas, so I really wouldn't want to give up the first round pick when you're hosting the draft, and you don't have one because you went and got a 32-year-old Julio Jones. There's no way a first round pick is involved. I'm just going to throw that out there to you. Okay. Right. Second round pick. Second and a fourth. Uh, they did a third and a fifth for AB. I mean, yeah, that's fine. I mean, a, a second and a fourth. I mean, with again with those numbers and assuming that he's going to go out there and he's going to play at least fourteen or fifteen games, uh, anything under ten, I'm going to be upset about because again, you need the consistency. You know, Darren Waller's wide receiver number one. He's the number one target. He's going to get the, the the majority of them. Uh, but if you could have a dynamic player like a Julio Jones, and look, you might have a guy that you feel is is a dynamic player in Brian Edwards if he can be healthy, you know, and I hate using that if you could be healthy, but you have Brian Edwards on the roster that's a young dude too. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different scenarios that you got to think about, but I can understand the Raiders wanting to get a guy that's established already because they want to win now. They're not trying to, I don't think they're trying to build for the future. I think that they want to win now, get into the playoffs and, and make a run at that thing. Yeah. And I, I tend to think that it's going to be a third round pick uh, and maybe something else. I don't think that it even gets, uh, to, to the second round level, um, but 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 we'll see. Um, I, right. I think there's some serious uh, offers uh, that that are on the t- you know or a seri- couple serious offers that are on the table for him. Uh, so we'll see. I think in a short for a short term couple of year investment, um, and you start thinking about him and Henry Ruggs and a Brian Edwards and a um, you know the guys that they already have on this roster. Um, <laughs> it, it, it would look pretty pretty interesting out there at Allegiant Stadium watching all that talent uh, out for sure. there. Uh, and John Gruden, um, you know, calling the shots. Uh, we're talking to our good friend Q Myers. Uh, he was nice enough to join us uh, in the huddle, spend some time with us in the huddle. Um, okay, so uh, back at it at, at number 17. I wrote an article today, um, you know, talking about how important it is to go best player uh, available. And I, what, I, what I brought up was in 2014, the Rams had a desperate need at offensive line. They were lucky enough that they had the second pick overall. They used it on Greg Robinson, who ironically enough didn't pan out. Uh, right. But that freed them up at number 13 because they had already taken care of their most pressing need at 13, even though they had Robert Quinn, even though they had Michael Brockers, who they had just drafted the year before, even though they had Chris Long, who was still a productive player at that point. 
They were looking at a, a kid by the name of Aaron Donald at Pitt saying, you know what, we're pretty strong at defensive line, but we could, we have a chance to make this defensive line a great defensive line uh, right. by picking Aaron Donald, which is what they did. Now, in retrospect, and I've talked to everybody involved, they're not quite sure if they didn't have that second pick overall or if, there were only had, if they only had the 13th pick overall, they're pretty sure they wouldn't have taken Aaron Donald. They didn't need a defensive lineman. They needed an offensive, uh, an offensive lineman. Now, granted, um, in their eyes, it would have been Zach Martin uh, from Notre Dame. But even they, as they say now, good, but not Aaron Donald, you know. Right. Um, but, but they would have been in that situation where they would have had to make a hard choice between a superior player and a position, a, a player that played a position of need. And I, I wrote that. That can't be the trap that the Raiders fall into uh, on, on, on Thursday. I don't think that they are um, close enough to be really picky and selective uh, on, on where they narrow their, their decision-making in on at, at a particular uh, position. Where are you uh, on that um, as, as far as that 17th pick? They know, we know that they need a right tackle. Uh, but but if they go off, you know, uh, script in that regard to go get the best player they believe is is still on the board, how would you feel about that? I think that that's what they should do. I absolutely do. And it, it's funny. I, I've been kicking myself for weeks now. I was doing a mock draft, and I picked Christian Derisaw, the the tackle out of Virginia Tech. He's a left tackle, but I kicked him over to the right side, and I said, well, there's a big hole there. They need an offensive tackle. He's a stud. And, you know, go ahead, that fills the need. But later, after I turned that pick in, I was really mad at myself because I thought, man, Micah Parsons was still on the board. Jeremiah Wusukoromoa was still on the board. I mean, there were some dudes that could be difference makers on that defensive side of the ball that I thought, you know what, if I had just thought about it a little bit more and thought about it like me instead of trying to think like I think the Raiders are thinking, you know, I tried to put myself in their shoes, and I should never try to do that. I should just go off of what I think I would do and then roll the dice and see what happens. And I, I, I missed that one, I think. I mean, Darisol, really good player. I don't think it was a bad pick. I just think I could have made a better pick. So I'm with you, man. I, honestly, I'll tell you, for a, a dream scenario for me, and I, I don't think it's going to happen, I, I can't say never because I didn't think CeeDee Lamb was going to be at number 17 a year ago for the Cowboys, and he was. But for me, ideally, man, Patrick Sertain is there, and the Raiders find a way to get him. I would love for them to get Patrick Sertain and lock down one side of the field. And then you have to worry about Trayvon Mullen and you have to worry about Damon Arnett. We talked about it before. You can maybe kick Damon Arnett into the slot. Who knows? You have competition there, and you have some really good players at corners. That would be a dream scenario for me that I don't think is going to happen. But if Micah Parsons happens to drop, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa is on the board, and you have the best offensive tackle that you feel is on the board, I think there should be some serious discussion about going and getting that defensive stud and then going and getting your offensive tackle in a draft that's very deep in offensive tackle. Even as early as the second round, maybe you're able to get a, a Jenkins, or maybe you're able to get a Eichenberg, or maybe you're able to get you know uh, the young man out of Stanford, or any of those cats. Maybe you're able to do that and, and still have some really, really good defensive player. What if it's Caleb Farley? What do you think about that? No, no, no. He's got, he's to me, and this is just me, he's got too many medical red flags for me. I just, I can't do it. You know what I mean? I just, this guy didn't play in 2020. He uh, had to have another back surgery, uh, and I just don't think backs get better. I think the older you get, uh, I don't think that they get any better. I think that they force people into retirement early. Uh, he has a torn ACL that he had in 2017, so he's got that as well, and I know that ACLs aren't, that big a deal and extreme anymore, but still he's playing a speed position at that corner spot. 
I've, I've taken him off my first round draft board. I mean, just straight up. And, and that might be unfair, and somebody might get a steal, but I'd rather them take a chance on somebody else getting a steal than the Raiders taking a chance. And, and what I have, I have flashbacks of DJ Hayden. You know, DJ Hayden was the guy that was supposed to be the best DB in the draft, but he was coming off a horrific, horrific uh, medical incident there in Houston. And, well, Reggie McKenzie still took him, was going to take him at three, but ended up taking him at 12 after they traded with the Dolphins. And we all see how DJ Hayden's career shook out, not only with just the Raiders, but in his, in the career. He just never was the guy that he was expected to be. So uh, Farley is off my book as far as the first round. Now, if you start to consider him in the second round, then maybe if he's still around, but I'm sure somebody will already have grabbed him by that time. Absolutely. I'm with you. Uh, it's It's just... You know, again, and we've talked about this plenty of times, uh, we don't know the medicals, um, you know, so we're not privy to it, and every team is going to be different. Every medical team is going to look at it a little bit differently. Uh, but based on talent, the kid can play. And if, yeah. if you have any sort of confidence that it was a, uh, an issue that is, is, is behind him, literally, um, man, uh, he's, he's such a compelling talent. That, uh, but I understand. If if it's not, just, then you can't. You cannot. You cannot. You can't take a risk. This pick is too important. Um, yeah. You know to go down that road. That that's that's my thing. You know, if it's a team that's picking at the end, if it's like the Chiefs, say the Chiefs didn't trade away their first round pick for Orlando Brown, which by the way was a great trade for them. But say they're picking at thirty one, and they say, you know what, let's take a shot at him. They can afford to do that. The Raiders, this draft is too important. I mean, all these drafts are too important as they're trying to stack talent. It's way too important to say, let's take a chance. They just can't afford that. They, they, they've got to figure out this defense. They've got to figure out how to build this roster and make this a serious playoff contender. Absolutely. Uh, you could follow him uh, at Q Myers. I just lost the uh, – you know what? Uh, away you go. What, what, what's the Twitter exact Twitter handle? I don't want to mess it up. <laughs> I just Ask added boy to Q254. 254, of course. Yes. Uh, my bad on that. You know that. Uh, I appreciate you spending some time with us. Uh, we're we're going to uh, try to get you back on um, Friday, hopefully, uh, time permitting, although we're at one to three uh, on Friday. So we'll work it out, um, uh, hopefully, to get your impressions on, uh, on, on the first night of the draft. Uh, and then perhaps, you know, obviously late, uh, next week uh, to see, you know, uh, get your impressions of the full haul. Uh, and, and, and who knows, maybe the Raiders will be announcing uh, another new wide receiver uh, to, the, to the group uh, at some point. So, Q, thanks so much. Enjoy uh, Thursday. Uh, hopefully we can catch up uh, very soon after. But thanks for spending some time with us in the huddle, man. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem, man. You give me the call. I'm there. I appreciate you. All right. Take care, brother. That's Q Myers giving us his uh, thoughts on the draft on Julio Jones. Um, Lots of uh, irons in the fire right now. Uh, You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. Woo-wee. That interview with Q Myers ran a little bit long. Vinny needed a little extra little time, but we're up against it already. So we're going to take another break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back with the second hour of In the Huddle with Vinny Bonson. One more time. 